0: All right, week six, episode six of the Brotherly Sports Podcast, presented by the Fans Place. I'm Sam Wexler, your host, alongside the brothers, Rory and Connor and Guys, this is coming down to a heated battle in several divisions in baseball. I'm really excited for the end of this season.
1: I think that's what, when you get a 60-game season, you never know what's going to happen. It doesn't give teams enough time to spread out, and outside of, of course, a couple of divisions here and there, so... It's one of the exciting portions of having an abbreviated season, um, so we'll see how, what happens over the next week or two.
0: As we always do, let's take a quick look at the standings. Chicago pretty much wrapping up the National League Central. Atlanta holding off the Miami Marlins. Rory's uh, favorite bandwagon team. And then in the West, the Dodgers clinched the West really early. They've got a three-and-a-half game lead over San Diego after taking two out of three in that weekend or weekday series. Tampa Bay holding off New York, but the Yankees stopped the bleeding and won seven straight. And then out West Oakland has pretty much wrapped things up with a six and a half game lead over Houston.
2: Yeah. You obviously have a couple divisions that still are going to come down to the wire here. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens in that AL central division, you know, specifically between the Indians and the White Sox. Or, sorry, between the uh, Twins and the White Sox. Really going down to the wire, they obviously just played played a series. The White Sox are crazy hot. The White Sox are going to be playing Cincinnati here in the next three. Um, I'm not really sure how much it matters to win your division this year. It's not like there's a massive advantage to not having to be in the wild card. Um, but it's still, still good bragging rights for those teams.
0: Yeah, and it looks good on a banner on the side of the stadium. Yeah, sure
2: does. I mean, 5 years from now people might forget that 2020 was the year that was only 60 games. So <laughs> that number won't be any won't be any smaller.
1: I don't think the the Yankees resurgence to winning 7 in a row is it's that much of a coincidence that Garrett Cole pitched well for two starts as well when he hadn't for his previous couple. So if Cole starts pitching really really well again and the Yankees start getting healthy, I think they just pulled Judge off the DL, so now he's activated. Once they start getting healthy, they'll be dangerous, that's for sure. Yeah, Judge and Stan, back. Yeah, and Luke Boyd decided to just
0: start mashing baseballs out of nowhere. He's got 19, and no one is within three home runs of that.
2: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. We've always known that he had that kind of power. The question was whether he'd hit consistently enough for it to matter, but so far the series. has.
0: Looking at his splits, over the last seven games, he's got five dingers, so he knows what he's doing. All right, standout hitter and pitchers, hot and cold. Touch the handle.
2: If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. Ah, my hand, that's hot. Ugh, this one's
0: hot, too. What does warm mean? Uh, we just talked about Luke Voigt sending missiles to all parts of the ballpark. My standout pitcher, Trevor Bauer, again, and he's got a legit shot at the Cy Young this year.
1: I think he's got an even better shot now. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but DeGrom exiting his start with a hamstring injury. If he doesn't pitch for his, next, his final couple games, I think that takes him out of it. And you're really looking, I think, at Bauer versus Darvish for the Cy Young Award. And we'll see. If the Reds make a final push for the playoffs, I think Bauer is definitely going to be a key in that, which could help them push him over the top to being a Cy Young.
0: I don't think it's an if they make a push. It's probably just a, how big of a push they make because they've got a, a spot right now.
1: They do. They've got a tough a tough final schedule here. So they've been able to put a run together against the Pirates and, and some other lesser teams. Taking two out of three from the Cardinals was big. Um, but they've got the White Sox and the Twins and the Brewers for their final nine games, which is probably one of the harder nine-game stretches to end that you'll see.
0: Yeah, Darvish doesn't have an easy set for the last two or three starts of his season either, so nothing's guaranteed for the Cy Young in the National League anymore.
1: It's true.
2: Bauer against the White Sox this weekend if he wants to win the Cy Young he needs to go out there and put in a Cy Young performance if he does that against a very good White Sox lineup I think he might be in pole position.
0: Connor who's hot and who's cold over on your side?
1: I just went hot for this week LeMahieu obviously for the for the Yankees is a big reason why they won seven games in a row absolutely on fire and Freddie Freeman keeps rolling he's had another big week I think he's third in the majors in average and leads the majors in on-base percentage with qualified plate appearances. Um, so he he's doing Freddie Freeman things. He got a little, off to a little bit of a slow start, but he's anchoring that Braves lineup. Um, just keeps rolling. And then Luis Castillo, if, if he's actually starting to hit his stride this year, 16 innings pitch, 16 Ks, a complete game against the Cardinals, .56 whip, .56 ERA. He's He's throwing the ball really, really well right now, and the Reds will need another start or two like that from him um, if they're going to make if they're going to make the playoffs. So he's absolutely on fire as well. Um, just just some players I've noticed over the past week. Castillo and Bauer
0: in a th- three-game series would be scary,
1: especially in Sonny he threw Sunny Gray in there too, who's right now on the IL but should be coming back. That three in a f- best of five series—if you can roll those three pitchers out—they can beat any team.
2: Rory? Uh, for me, a couple of hitters, lesser-known hitters, Jared Walsh. Um, two, actually, two guys, Jared Walsh and Jose Marmalejos, two guys who have had a ton of success at AAA but have kind of been written off. I believe they're both 26, 27, a little bit older, play in first base. Uh, Jared Walsh has been able to start here since the beginning of – he started his 2020 season 0-13, got sent down to the alternate site, came back up since the beginning of um, – what, month three in September – He's gone 19 for 45 with seven home runs. He hit one last night. I believe he hit one the night before. Jose Marmalejo is actually one um, minor league player of the year, two years in a row in the uh, Mariner system. He's gone 18 for six, his last 61 with five home runs. That's back to the beginning of August. It's kind of, I always enjoy seeing guys who bloom a little bit late, who struggled, you know, in the minors, found their stride, or kind of written off as quad A players, and then come up and start hitting in the big leagues. Um, and then another guy, younger guy from the pitching side, Brady Singer. Um, he's been a pretty well, highly touted prospect uh, in the Royals system. He, in his last 14 innings, hasn't allowed a run, 16Ks, a couple of wins. Um, he's starting to look really good for the Royals.
0: And talking about the lesser-known guys, Adalberto Mondesi leading the majors with 17 stolen bases. He's on pace for about 50 in a season in a 162-game schedule. So we haven't seen a guy steal that many bases in volume in a few years now.
2: Yeah, he also can't hit, though. So (laughs) if he could get on base or hit the ball uh, with any sort of consistency, he'd probably steal 100.
1: The Billy Hamilton all over again right now. That's that level of speed, but trouble getting on base. All right, let's look at what we like.
0: I thought it was hilarious watching Adam Eaton's beard knocking a fly ball out of his glove when he tried to make a diving catch. It's just ridiculous stuff in baseball sometimes. You don't see a football player's beard forcing a fumble. And that's just baseball. Somebody's beard pushing the ball away. I don't know. Did
2: you, I don't know if you saw it too a couple of weeks ago. It reminded me, you Darvish pitching actually knocked his own glove off of his hand <laughs> <laughs> as he was pitching. And then he just
0: looked around like someone else did it to him. It was... <laughs> That's pretty funny. My um, And Pitching Ninja on Twitter had the trail of the glove, too, with the ball. So there were two trails.
2: For me, shocker, I'm going to highlight the Marlins once again. They took four of six from the Phillies. The Phillies are a pretty good team. Um, three over 500. They only have 13 games to play. They're in a pretty good spot to make the playoffs. And I do want to remind everybody that I did somewhat predict that in our predictions article. It's not like I hopped on the bandwagon after the first two weeks. So. That Marlins man, Rory, strikes again. I'm enjoying watching them uh, prove me right. For me, I think
1: <laughs> it was yesterday, where Varsho for the, for the Angels, took a back, sorry, took a complete face pant when he was trying to dive and catch the ball. And there's a video of him where Calhoun's just laughing at him for about two minutes because he's diving, his mouth was open, and he just went face first in the grass and just ate a mouthful of grass and missed the ball by about a foot. So it's a pretty funny video if you haven't checked it out. And then also for me, obviously the Reds winning five in a row and putting themselves squarely in playoff contention is, is always good.
0: And speaking of weird stuff in the outfield, did you guys see Eloy Jimenez, the White Sox outfielder who let the ball roll under the padding and just threw his hands up because he knew that even if it wasn't stuck, he could call a, a time and it'd be a ground rule double?
2: No, I, I see, see that. that. You do that regularly all the time with the Ivy. All right, let's look at some stuff
0: that we hated. Oh, great! I hate, it. hate, 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 hate <laughs> it! Music, sweet music. I thought it was just ridiculous. This is more of Uncle Manfred's stupid rules. MLB announced the new social media policies restricting players from marketing themselves, but Commissioner Manfred, a year or two ago, said that it was Mike Trout's fault for not marketing himself. This is just so backwards by the commissioner's office. It's unbelievable that baseball has survived this long under Manfred. it's, it's just so frustrating from a baseball uh, fan standpoint
2: yeah I mean I I don't know if Manfred's stock has ever been lower between either the way he I mean you know on the outside looking in it's hard to tell whether it was either the way the way he handled the COVID situation the league restart or just the perception of how he handled that um, between that and um, you know some of the other policies that have that have been put forward I I don't know if he's super long for that position, although you look around at other sports, commissioners commissioners tend to stick around a lot longer than you think they ever are going to because typically what happens is they're working for the owners. Um, We may, as the fans, not like what they're doing, but essentially they're just kowtowing to the owners, and the owners have no reason to remove them if they're doing what the owners think are right, even if it's not right for the sport. And unfortunately, I think there's a significant number of owners in MLB who really don't know what's right right for the sport, and they only know it's good for their pocketbooks. And then that reflects on the way Manfred handles his position. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, I would like to see a change. But, unfortunately, anybody who goes into that position is still going to be working for the owner. So, it's a it's a tough spot to be in.
1: For me, what I hated most was seeing DeGrom leave an exit early with a hamstring injury. Obviously, any pitcher, their power comes from their legs. And a hamstring, if you've got a nagging hamstring injury, can really mess with your – your delivery and can put you out for a long time. doesn't look like the Mets after getting beaten down by the Phillies would really have a chance of making the playoffs, but it's always good to see really good players finish out of season. It doesn't look like DeGrom's going to be able to do that, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. My, um, uh, things I hated for last week specifically was, um, the air quality issues out on the West coast. I mean, obviously this is a much bigger issue. It's sports, and there are a lot of people out there who are uh, having some difficulties. So hope a lot of that is resolved relatively quickly. It's, it's obviously also affected the sports world both the NFL, MLB. The Giants-Mariners game was postponed, and they moved up to Seattle um, to try to escape those issues. So, um, you know, on the, on the spectrum of, of how important is that, it's certainly on the lower end compared to what a lot of people are dealing with. But um, that's not a great situation out there.
0: All right, Saturday game picks. Oh, pick me! Oh, I know! I know! Me! Me! <sighs> okay, fine. I've got the Dodgers over the Rockies because, let's be real, that's essentially a lock. Colorado has just gone nowhere but down since the start of the year. Charlie Blackman was hitting 600 three weeks into the season, and now he's you know barely hitting 350. And I feel like the Dodgers are a shoe-in to win that game, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good pick. I'm going to take the Cubs over the Twins. That's a tricky one. Alec Mills has been a bit up and down this season, but his last two starts have been phenomenal. He threw a no-hitter his last time out. Um, not striking out quite as many people, but seems to be getting weak contact. Um, and so I am going to take his pitching over, uh, over the Twins in that one.
0: Are you predicting a John D- Johnny Vandermeer situation?
2: Not against the Twins, I'm not. <laughs>
1: I'm predicting the Nationals over the Marlins just because I want Rory's bandwagon to be slowed down a little bit. And also is going to be pitching. <laughs> so I think there's a good chance Scherzer comes out firing and dominates that game. Um, but could be surprised But I'm mean, going to take the, the Nationals over the Marlins. All right, let's move on to the football talk.
0: Are you ready? Ready? We're ready. Are you ready for some football? Uh, 2020 NFL Week 1 review. What was the most exciting game you watched, guys?
1: For me, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch too many of the games, but I went with two of the more surprising finishes in the league for week one would be the Cardinals over the 49ers, and then the Washington football team beating, beating the Eagles. I think those two results are about as surprising as it gets, followed closely by the Jaguars over the Colts. So it is week one. There wasn't really a training camp. We're still figuring things out. Um, but I don't think anybody expected those results, and maybe it's showing that the immediate impact of Hopkins going to the Forty, going to the Cardinals, and just giving Murray one more weapon to be able to throw to, um, or maybe it's a little bit of a come down for the Niners, and that they're not going to repeat as they did last year. But the Washington over Eagles is probably the more shocking of the two. There, the fact that they've got Haskins, who's still really a first year quarterback, barely a second year quarterback all the political turmoil and what's going on in that ownership there. And they still managed to come out and beat the Eagles, who never can seem to escape the injury bug, starting with a bunch of people on the on the aisle this year too. So we'll see. But those are two of my more surprising results from this past week.
0: Yeah, all the Eagles uh, bird gang fans were losing their marbles after getting smacked around by the Washington football teams.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, anybody who loses to a team without a mascot is pretty sad
0: although the people have been spin zoning that and saying that makes them more of a football team because they don't need a mascot to uh, be cute and friendly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the mascots really matter, um, at least at the NFL level. I love them at the college level. Um, for me, let's see, I watched the Bengals game all the way through. Um, you know, for anybody who watched that, A.J. Green got called for offensive pass interference on the second-to-last play of the game. People are saying it was a questionable call, even as a Bengals fan. I mean, I think by the letter of the law, it was probably the right call. He did extend his arms. But you just wonder if the NFL is doing the right thing by, you know, calling that kind of relatively borderline call at the end of the game and really changing the result. So they went from – they were down three that would have won the game for them, got pushed back ten yards, and, of course, in the most Bengals fashion ever – Randy Bullitt comes in and misses a, a chip shot and then pretends like he's injured immediately after to make it look like.
0: <laughs> yeah, they picked the wrong leg to complain about and when the media talked about it.
2: It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know if you could come up with in your own imagination a more Bengals ending to a game than an offensive pass interference call to go from winning by four to needing a game-tying field goal to missing the field goal to your field goal kicker pretending to be injured and messing up when discussed <laughs> to the media because he was faking the injury the entire, the entire time, so he wouldn't be as embarrassed.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: It literally defines Bengals fandom in one paragraph.
0: Man, the Bengals and Browns seem a whole
2: lot alike. To be fair, though, the thing about being a Cincinnati fan is your teams actually give you a lot of hope with relative frequency. You go through periods of four to five years of just being terrible, and then you go to through periods of four to five years where you either make the playoffs every year or you get close, and then you just get chopped off at the knees every time because none of the Cincinnati teams can ever actually win a game in the playoffs. So I think it's actually worse than Cleveland, where you just know you're going to lose every single year without fail.
0: Even though you're overhyped? Yeah.
2: The good news about that Bengals game, though, is that last drive, Joe Burrow looked very, very, very good. I mean, he, he looks every bit like he was worth the number one pick. The question will just be, can they surround him with enough talent to do anything with it over the next four or five years?
0: All right, let's move on to the storylines we're looking at in the NFL. In the same vein, talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, how long until Joey football, Joe Burrow, gets tired of the Cincinnati shenanigans and says something questionable in the media or posts something on social media? Is he gonna get pissed? To be fair,
2: I think I actually think Zach Taylor is a, is a good um, head coach, and I think Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow will probably be probably do very well together, um, and I think. They'll get him in the next draft and maybe the next offseason they'll get him a little bit more talent, and the Bengals will probably be relevant next season, if I had to guess. I think they've got just enough to to sort of get there. What ends up happening is Mike Brown never makes the last move necessary to go from contending team to championship team, and I think that's what Joe Burrow is probably eventually going to get tired of, but it'll it'll take a few years.
1: It'll be another Carson Palmer situation. They draft a good quarterback. Is a number one overall, and then they get a few years where they go to the playoffs a bunch, but they never actually advance past the first or, or second round, because they just don't have that next level talent that you need, so we'll see. He's from Ohio, so I think that means he's going to have a little bit more patience. This, this is nothing new to him. Um, he's a hometown boy, so I think he's got the right attitudes going after it, so it'll be fun to watch for the next few years. Uh, for me, it's Watching Brady and Tampa at noon in New England. Obviously, Tampa went 0-1, New England went 1-0. Tampa had to play the Saints. New England had to play the Dolphins. A little bit different level of competition there. But Brady did throw a pick six in, another, in a second INT as well. One, supposed suppose it was a misread by Evans. So we'll see how that goes. Um, that's what I'm going to be watching. If the Patriots come out hot playing well and the Buccaneers don't, then all the drama and and noise around Belichick versus Brady is going to start getting pretty heavy, but it's only week one they Tampa does have to play in a tough division with Carolina and New Orleans and Atlanta, so it's it's going to be a little bit harder, I think road to road to hall for Brady on that side, but definitely watching that storyline and seeing how that unfolds.
0: And I think I deserve a little bit of credit for my NFL predictions talking about Newton's mobility and Belichick's new play calling and play design, and there Newton goes and runs for two touchdowns right out of the gate.
1: I think you can always count on Belichick to basically play to the strength of his players, and he's got a lot of flexibility with Newton in the backfield there and some of the, the running backs, the pass catching, and really what they're missing is a big play-wide receiver. They just don't have that right now. Um, and with Newton's ability to extend plays, you really need someone that can take the top off the defense, and that would really open up the playbook for Belichick. But, yeah, I think that'll be fun to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, what has more wrinkles, Belichick's face when he's frowning or the playbook he's got this year, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: All right, Rory, your storyline? Yeah, I mean, it. it's
2: somewhat similar, I guess, to Connors in a way – I'm kind of interested in how the lack of a preseason and the way um, everything happened this year with COVID affects the season. There was a lot of chatter before the season that new quarterbacks and new systems are going to struggle to begin. And quarterbacks who are, you know, have the same head coach, the same system, mostly the same personnel, will probably have a leg up. Um, and I think we're seeing that. I mean, Brady, there were stretches of that game where he actually looked pretty good. There were stretches of that game where he looked really bad. And I think that's just because that team has not quite gelled together um, uh, just yet. I think game three or four, you'll start to see the real Buccaneers. Um, there's actually also an interesting stat, too. The last – Tom Brady has been 0-1 three other times, and uh, each of the three times he made the Super Bowl. So I don't think there's any reason to worry and <laughs> in Tampa Bay just yet but that's just not that's not just a a Brady and Tampa Bay comment I mean you're you're looking sort of across the league Philip Rivers in Indianapolis did not look great um and I think in Colts fans are going to be worried and I think they're going to be worried over the next couple weeks I think he's not going to look great probably for a little while but by about game four I expect he'll start to look a little bit better and the Colts may only end up 10 and 6 but that should be be enough for them to sneak into the playoffs um you know, so I, I think we're going to see a lot of that in the NFL. I'm not sure we're really going to know which teams are good or not until we get to that fourth or fifth week and the, the teams with some newer personnel have had a chance to to really play together and work together and settle in.
0: Yeah, Philip Rivers was doing Philip Rivers stuff, throwing picks in the fourth quarter and collapsing. That was so frustrating to watch. I fell asleep and turned the TV off. <laughs> it's definitely
2: frustrating, but uh, Frank Reich is a very good head coach and... um they have a very good defense. That was just a, a rough game all around, but I think the Colts will figure it out.
0: I'm kind of surprised more people are not getting mad at Frank Reich for going for it on fourth down from inside the 20 or wherever it was, because if they had kicked two field goals in those situations, that would have been a Colts game.
2: Yeah, I know. And I um, remind me, what was the down? What was the distance on that fourth down? I can't quite remember.
0: I think one of them was fourth and one or fourth and two, from yeah. like the six yard line. Truthfully, though, I mean, the biggest mistake
2: most NFL coaches make, if you look purely at the numbers, is not going for it on fourth down nearly as they should. So, you know, you're talking about probably a greater than 50 percent chance of converting a fourth and one when you've got the best offensive line potentially in the league um, and the difference between seven and three is obviously pretty huge so you know they convert that and they score and that is the game so you know i i i kind of hear what you're saying but i'm i'm almost always in favor of a coach going for it on fourth and one even at your own 25 yard line me too me too so much more than people realize it does
0: all right last thoughts all right you sad sex last call rory uh, marlins man rory strikes again i can only guess what you're going to talk about for the next three minutes
2: I'm going to continue beating this drum. We'll have one more of these uh, before – or the last – actually, when we do this next week, there will be one series left before the postseason, and I expect the Marlins to have wrapped up a playoff spot by the time we were this next podcast. <laughs> Let's see, Friday's set. Yeah, it's going to be – for them, I think they'll end up playing probably eight or nine games because of doubleheaders. Um, that's my prediction. And then one other thing, we we, um, chatted about it before this podcast, but uh, the Premier League is starting back up. Um, My uh, boys over in uh, southwest London at Chelsea uh, won their first match 3-1 over Brighton. Um, We'll start having some Premier League analysis for everybody uh, starting on the next podcast. And I'm really looking forward to that huge, huge Premiership fan and uh, should be fun to get into some of that.
1: I think I did see – that the Marlins have yet to lose a playoff series, if I remember correctly, yeah. I think I saw that saw that yeah. stat line. Those seasons in World Series. Yep. So if they do make it, then that'll become a huge huge storyline, depending how they play in the playoffs. Um, EPL wise, yeah, I think I was at watched the Liverpool game this past weekend. Even though I'm not a huge Liverpool fan, to see them almost lose or tie Leeds, which was fun to watch in a Liverpool bar because all of the Liverpool fans were freaking out. When that was happening. Um, and then for me, it's also COVID for the NFL. They're one of the few major sports not playing in a bubble. Obviously, MLB is doing a bubble um, here for the postseason. NHL is in one, NBA is in one, WNBA is in one. Uh, all the player tests for the Chiefs and the Texans came back negative um, for personnel, players, all of that. You know, I'm sure we'll get tests for the other teams here going back soon. So, As of now, it seems like it's working, it's doing all right, and we need something to monitor over the next couple weeks, see if those tests continue to be negative, and they can still travel and play like they're doing.
0: It seems like uh, Roger Goodell, Commissioner of NFL, is going to have a group of people set up in an office just to write stories about how the positive tests for COVID are false positives, and just to spin it in the opposite direction and say that they're doing a great job and that no one is sick, because the last thing he wants is the season to get stopped. And I don't think he's going to let it get stopped. He'll do everything in his power to push through, even if somebody does have super bad complications.
1: There's no doubt, no doubt about that. He doesn't, he'll do anything to keep this season going. My last thought, predictions
0: for the MLB end of year awards and division winners on the next show. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I think we can do that. There'll only be three games left. So we should know, we should know just about everything that we know at that point.
0: And on the next show, maybe uh, Connor and I can wear different soccer jerseys because I've got the Indy 11, and Connor's got the 06 World Cup uh, English national team, the Three Lions. We'll see. Roy, are you going to mix in a jersey too?
2: I don't really own a lot of jerseys, somewhat surprisingly. So I, I have a I have a Reds jersey with no name on it that Connor gave me for a birthday a number of years ago. And I might actually have an England soccer jersey somewhere. I do have an uh, English national rugby team jersey that I could pull out at some point. That's probably my favorite. For those of you who are listening who don't know, both Connor and I have an English father. So our England England roots run deep.
0: (laughs) On that note, that's week six of the Brotherly Sports Podcast. Guys, that was a fun one. I can't wait to do this next week. Looking forward to it. All right, head over to thefansplace.com slash contact if you want to talk to Rory and Connor and go to the App Store and the Google Play Store and download the Fans Place app to make your weekly picks for players of the week and games to watch. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in seven days.